Hello everybody, welcome back. We're here again for another week on The Passion Project, the podcast where it doesn't matter if anybody else cares as long as you do. And after a little fun and games on the audio side of things, or we just had a fun adventure in silence, I have Kyle with me this week. How you doing, Kyle? I am doing awesome. Uh, how are you? I am, well, I don't know if I'm doing as awesome as you, but I'm, I'm doing okay. Okay, well, I mean, it's, all right, all right. It's day two of a four-day weekend, uh, um, so, you know, I can't complain too much. Although, <laughs> that's going to give away to a lot of people when I recorded this versus when it actually got uploaded. It's going to ruin the <laughs> artifice that this isn't done up to date. Oh, no, I've ruined everything. Oh, oh God, scrap the whole project. Yeah. It's gone. It's done. <laughs> oh, God, no, everyone thinks... No, yeah, it's Easter weekend, everybody. I'm sorry, I spoiled it. Okay, <laughs> well, enough of that. We're not here to talk about the fact that it's Easter weekend. I mean, we could, but that won't be that very exciting. So instead, what are you here to talk to me about? I'm here to talk about uh, weird art music, and specifically the music of John Cage. All right, all right. American composer. Yes, and just just to be clear, as I have clarified with you, this is not Johnny Cage as featured in the Mortal Kombat video games. No, it is not. I don't know if there's any inspiration drawn there. They're I don't com- think so. Although, uh, it, would, but- it would be nice to imagine they are the same person. You know, I think I will just so that I can yeah. think of my John Cage doing cool kung fu. Exactly. Uh, he has, you know, weird art music, <laughs> and then on the side, he occasionally engages in like supernatural yeah. fights to the death. Exactly. He's everyone's he's uh, done a few fatalities on the people. Yeah. Everyone's got to have a hobby. Yo, exactly. <laughs> okay, so what exactly? So what constitutes weird art music, I guess? how If you're, someone was asking to describe weird art music, which is exactly what I'm doing right now, how would you describe yeah. it? I guess it's things that... Uh, it's definitely outside the realm of pop music. It's kind of what... Uh, if you think of the term classical music, that's kind of a weird misnomer because people just think that means... like Classical music is like older music, right? Yeah. But the music that continued in that vein of that tradition has kind of gotten into its own little weird niches. And mm-hmm. uh, so if you like saw the tree, this is like a weird little branch off of these experimental uh, kind of music. So I would, the main word I'll use is experimental. Right. Uh, right. And usually it's got something a little odd about it. It's a little quirky, which is what uh, I think draws me to it. So what what constitutes quirky? Are we talking like I'm, I'm not like... I like music, but I'm not well versed in the technicalities of music. So, but like, what would constitute quirky? Is it like odd, like things that are weird time signatures or things that are like out of the realm of specific like music compositions, a little bit different? Yeah. Well, I mean, you bring up time signatures. So sometimes this kind of music would have no time signature, it would be without any kind of time. Uh, it also be be played on like non traditional instruments. This is kind of a uh, you might have heard of the musical stomp where they play like on trash cans uh, yes, and stuff. Yes. Yeah, that that kind of came actually, you know, from this idea like the idea of playing music on things that aren't like on tin cans and uh, using a conch shell to make a weird noise uh, was you know kind of created in this tradition. Uh, so it's it there's something that just uh it can vary in many different ways it can have no time signature it can be uh weirdly long or it can use different ways to mark time or it it's it's something that's different if like I, I could list just random pieces for you and i can do some for the john cage's works that like uh can kind of highlight what makes it weird and different yeah well what because what would have 
song without a time signature even sound like? I guess that's probably the kind of thing that might be difficult to explain, but... Yeah, well, it would just sound like a uh, random noise. Right. <laughs> <laughs> which it sounds like I'm uh, making fun of it or something, which I might be kind of slightly, because it's kind of fun to make fun of this kind of music. But uh, it would sound kind of random. And yeah. uh, and sometimes it's music that sounds random, but it isn't random. And there's music that doesn't sound random and is random. So uh, it's all kind of based on your perception. And where, I guess, where would you, where do you draw the line between what sounds like random sound but is actually music versus something that is random sound well that's that's funny to bring that up because john cage thought that there wasn't a line that it was all music right okay so i guess it's a good time to ask who is john cage yeah so he was kind of a a pioneer in avant-garde music back in the uh 40s he kind of is really important in this uh area uh he and he's really important to my field because I'm a percussionist. I play drums and all that stuff. But he really made percussion music, like music with no melody and no harmony, just noisy instruments making rhythms. Uh, he made he was like kind of one of the heroes of that, uh, you know, making it possible for music of percussion to exist. Right. So did was his was his sort of venture into this more avant-garde stuff? Was it born out of any other? music realm or did he just kind of go in whole hog on the avant-garde side of things straight off the bat <laughs> well he actually got uh lessons from a really famous composer arnold schoenberg who uh i don't know if you've heard of him before but he's kind I of he's famous to musicians uh he uh was pretty he pioneered a lot of new techniques in writing music but uh he was trying to teach john cage a traditional uh composition techniques and uh he uh, and John Cage really sucked at it. Actually, <laughs> he was pretty bad. There's a quote. I've it's something like, "In order to write music, you must have a feeling for harmony." And uh, John Cage said, "I didn't have a feeling for harmony." And uh, so Armstrong said, "You'll always encounter an obstacle, uh, like it would be a wall we couldn't pass." And Cage is like, "Well, I'll devote my life to beating my head against that wall." <laughs> so he just so, made, made music out of bashing his head against the wall. Yeah, which is what John Cage music uh, kind of sounds like, so it works. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess how did you get into this side of things? I, I assume, I guess, being a percussion, percu- percussionist. There we go, I got there. Um, <laughs> I contributed. It. <laughs> yeah, percrushing it. Uh, but yeah. Um, Definitely using that. Yeah. So, yeah, how did you get into this side of things? I assume that helped a little bit. Yeah, uh, the percussion thing was definitely it. And, uh, well, I grew up in like the american uh music education tradition where i just was in band and i did band music yeah then i went to college for music and uh heard this kind of new world and really opened my ears up to the possibility of sounds and my professor my percussion teacher was uh a john cage scholar he did his dissertation on john cage so he knew a lot about him and was really (laughs) uh fond of him there you go. And he just kind of passed off that wisdom to you. Yep, pretty much. So what what did you officially study? Um, I went to school for music education, but I did a performance as well. So I kind of just studied playing percussion music. Right. Uh, yeah. So and is is drum you said drums, is that your instrument of choice or are you sort of multifaceted in the bashing against things realm? Yeah, I would say that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, I've played many different things. I also play some world music, which, uh, like, I play some, uh, I've learned, like, studied from African musicians, so like Jimbe and Mbira from Zimbabwe, um, just getting kind of a, you know, and some frame drums from the Middle East and things like that. It's, I've I kind of got, I'm kind of a jack of all trades and master of none. Oh, that's better than me. I am a jack of zero tw- trades and also a master of none. <laughs> so, so you've you've already got a leg up there so um yeah so did you ever have like do you have more regular music tastes as well or are you mostly like nah just give me the weird shit uh no i have regular music tastes like i've i've grew up listening to rock and uh i'm a big jazz fan and funk uh like i love guys like snarky puppy and thundercat and you know those kind of those dudes uh and weird indie music too, um, but I, I do like normal stuff. I swear, I like I, I do listen to the radio. Like I'm not like <laughs> a freakazoid over here. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> I yeah, yeah. love this other kind. I'm just like because I'm just imagining like you know people you inviting people around for a party and just playing this abstract noise to them for three hours, <laughs> and then being like, you know what, man, I think we've got to go. Sorry. <laughs> No amount of alcohol can make this feel better. Yeah. Actually, like, the alcohol is making it worse. I feel like I'm being assaulted. <laughs> yeah, is, is it the kind of thing that you really struggle to convey, like, to other people? Like, you try show or, you know, expose other people to, and they just kind of go, what the fuck is this? Are you pranking me in some way? Uh, honestly, yeah, it's kind of... Uh, um... John Cage and like those kind of musicians, they're like the butt of many jokes in the music world because like they get covered in the music history class and then like they get like a little like one day in the lecture and like everyone's like, oh, ha, 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 uh, John Cage is weird music, huh? I'm like, no, it's beautiful, don't you see? And yeah. I, uh, I do have a hard time uh, making that come across. Why okay. it's awesome. Like so, so, so you said right then. Um, like you find it beautiful or is beautiful. So what, what specific is it about it? Where do you find the beauty in the noise? Well, I guess it's like his John Cage's whole philosophy was just that um, a sound can be is fine on its own. Like it doesn't have to be anything more than a sound. Mm. And so like it started opening up my ears to like these new textures and sounds. So like you'd listen to like the sound of, you know, it's kind of like those soothing audio uh you know cds that like it's just like nature sounds that kind of mm. is like like that same kind of thread of thought with any sound so like the sound of traffic going by that uh you just hear these just like you listen to it it's just noise but then you start listening to it and, like okay things are changing slightly i hear the zoom of this car coming by and i hear the sound of the rubber rubbing across the asphalt and i hear engines humming in different frequencies and i start you know, like you st- suddenly it becomes this vibrant uh sound collage that like you can see and pick apart different little things in it with your ears uh so that's kind of why i got super into him because it, it he opened my, that that possibility up to me hmm. so like and was it something you you know initially upon kind of discovering about this side of music and john cage yourself was it something you immediately felt an affinity to or did it take take some sort of adjusting and learning about before you kind of really saw what you enjoyed in it? No, it's, I guess I've always like, uh, as a kid, I always watched what was going on in the background of like plays and stuff. Actually, it was weird. Cause I would like, look, if I could see backstage, that's what I watched the whole time. I would watch the, like, you know, actors getting ready and stuff. So I always was kind of, uh, 
which is why I think I got into percussion because it was in the back. So I yeah. saw the percussionist in the back, and I was like, oh, that's what I want to do. Um, so I think, yeah, I think I just like that um, kind of hidden avenue. So when I heard of, first heard of it in college, I got I just instantly got um, super into it. Yeah, because I, yeah, I, mean, I guess it's kind of making music out of what would typically be considered white noise, I suppose. Yeah, really, in a way, yeah, that's totally it. Um, so I uh, say, yeah. So what's more? Ahead. Oh, sorry. What were you gonna say? Oh, nothing. Sorry, I wasn't no. saying anything. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, um, yeah. What's what's more of the history of John Cage? Like, so where where did he come from? Where did um, where did he go once he started sort of pioneering this this bashing his head against the wall technique? Where did he kind of go from there? Yeah. So he started off like really poor and uh, just kind of. Once he got done studying with Schoenberg, he uh, went around the country and uh, actually worked with dance classes a lot. They were kind of, uh, that thing was the same time the modern dance was kind of coming to fruition. So he uh, would write music for dance pieces. And uh, he actually invented something called the prepared piano where he would uh, wedge things in between. The, uh, if people don't know, if you're listening, that a piano, if you look at the inside, it's got strings and hammers that hit the strings. Uh and Cage would put like screws and washers and stuff in between the strings, and they would get these really uh, janky sounding uh, sound effects out of it. So it'd sound like a one person percussion ensemble. Hmm. Uh, so that was like one of his first things. And then he started writing music just for percussion. He would write music that had tin cans. He would write music that uh, um, used like, you know, like conch shells, like I was saying earlier. Um, he would use. Uh, traditional Chinese instruments that started like being imported to the country and uh, like um, things that we don't think as being foreign instruments, like certain drums are actually like Chinese in origin or woodblocks are from China and, or like uh, African drums, you know? So he started pulling all these together and making these newer kind of rhythmically based uh, compositions. That was kind of his first uh, phase, I guess you could say. Hmm. And uh, later he started using chance operations. He would, uh, he found out this, he found this thing called the I Ching, which is used in, uh, uh, I forget what really, I think it's like Zen Buddhism, um, where it would be by chance, you would like throw this, you would like do something where you get a random number and then you turn to that page in the book and read that prayer for the day. And that was like your, um, prayer. And he found some beauty in that, how it took the composer's will out of it. It was just what happened, happened. So kind of went in the same way as his, um, sound ideas so he started writing music using that so like it would be just random actually it would actually literally be random and uh his most famous piece is called four minutes and 33 seconds and that's actually it's called like the silent piece like where someone goes up on a stage with an instrument or something and just sits there for four minutes and 33 seconds and doesn't make a noise (laughs) um but (laughs) people say it's a silent piece but really, the music is supposed to be the sounds that are happening around you. So, like, as you sit there in silence, you start becoming aware of, like, oh, that guy's coughing over there. Oh, my seat is kind of squeaky. Um, so, like, that's kind of the point of the piece. But people didn't really get it when it premiered. And everyone left before it ended. <laughs> <laughs> so, because I guess on that side, like, it's it's less... It kind of comes across as less of... A music or a song kind of thing and more of i guess like an art performance at that point yeah really it kind of blended the uh lines between those kind of things because obviously yeah, I, I can imagine that also not going down well with a lot of people going to see it because 
like at the same time it ha- like it has a it has a philosophy behind it of i guess it's sort mm-hmm. of like paying attention to the noises that you don't normally pay attention to yeah but at the same time there's no like he, he's he's also hasn't really done anything to do it <laughs> yeah that's kind of the uh his the controversy with him because people think what's the point anyone could do that yeah but I think that was kind of the point, actually, that uh, um, that it wasn't him doing it. It was just nature doing it, like in a way, you know. It, it yeah. By taking his control out of it, then it became something else that yeah. like people I, couldn't normally get. I guess he's yeah, and he's in that context, he's more less of a musician. I guess he's more. I feel like he's he's almost more of a tour guide in that sense. He's just kind of directing people's <laughs> attention in the right in the way he wants towards the things he wants them to see. I you know kind of actually that's not a bad analogy. Uh yeah, with some of his pieces he's just kind of uh whatever happens happens and that's like it happens in that moment and then it never happens the exact same way again. So like yeah, pretty much. So is is was a lot of, did he record a lot of stuff or was a lot of it more performative like in this in this sense cuz you know obviously no one's going to buy a cd with a track that has you know the 4 minutes of 33 seconds of silence i could do that with it i could do that actually i can buy a, like a 100 pack of those cd's for about 5 bucks so <laughs> uh well you know actually it's funny you say that because there actually is a cd called cage against the machine <laughs> That's full of just people walking around with like field recorders and just recording whatever sounds are happening around them in that moment. <laughs> you can look this up in Spotify, Cage Against the Machine. It's there. You can listen to the club mix where a guy just walks into a club and stands there for a while. <laughs> <laughs> so is that's that, pretty great. Was that done sort more in honor of him than it was by him? Yeah, that was more in honor. It was, it was, uh, I think well after he had passed, uh, right. um, uh, what was I forgot the original question you were saying. Oh, the recordings and stuff. Um, yeah, it was more performed. Uh, it, there's not a whole lot of recordings of his work because, you know, once you like record that moment and it's like always the same, it kind of loses the point of it. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, the, sort of the the chaos and randomness in sort of everyday sound is more what he was going for mm-hmm. rather than, you know, trying to pinpoint and replicate those sounds. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So, as you said, he was sort of in a lot of music circles that did not go down well, by the sounds of it. Yeah, it uh, he it was he was controversial. Um, there was a really great video. I encourage everyone to watch it. Like, you go to YouTube and search uh, "John Cage Water Walk." Yeah, uh, water walk like walking. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'll that... I'll have to get you to like send me a bunch of links after this, just so. I think I'll yeah. put, I'll share some stuff on the Facebook page and stuff just because I, f- I feel like this is the kind of thing where it'll help if people have context. Totally. Yeah. I, it's kind of abstract to talk about it and not like have, you know, audio examples or something. But yeah. uh, uh, I'll just describe this one. He's on a game show. It was some old 50s game show. Um, and he uh, it was like you're supposed to guess who the person is, but they like they didn't have time for the, the game actually happened. So because he wanted to perform his piece. Yeah. So like, we'll just go ahead and perform it. And he's like, it's called Water Walk because I pour water and I walk. And uh, he's a big bathtub. He's got a timer, and like all the um, sounds were determined by the I Ching, I think. So he like, they were just uh, he had 
specific moments where you're supposed to push them, but they were composed randomly. So in that way, it wasn't random because like it was composed randomly, but not performed randomly. <laughs> but he just goes around kind of uh, making different silly sounds and uh, pouring water into a bathtub and like turning on like a steam kettle and like squeezing a little duck toy and uh, knocking radios off of the shelves. <laughs> uh, and the host before the performer was like, John Cage, aren't you worried that the audience is uh, going to laugh at you. And he said, well, it's better than them crying. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think he knew he was kind of, you know, in this kind of weird realm that people didn't understand. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he at least, he was at least willing to roll with it rather than kind of standing there screaming at people. You don't understand. Totally. Yeah. Cause I feel that's kind of going to go down. Not so well if he tried that tactic. Yeah. <laughs> this does he have anything that, like, what would be, does he have anything that you would consider his most conventional piece? Yeah, I would, uh, there's a piece I'm actually performing with my percussion group uh, called Forever and Sunsmell, and it's a setting of a E.E. Uh, e. Cummings poem that's, it's for voice, uh, a two tom-toms, and a china symbol, and uh, it's really beautiful. It's a really simple medley, uh, melody, and... Uh, with these kind of interesting wonky percussion parts, but it's still pleasurable to listen to for most people. Um, so I recommend checking that out. Yeah. That, is that kind of like the gateway? <laughs> that's the gateway piece that you offer to people. Yeah. that. Yeah. I would say that that's one of them for sure. Um, there's another one. Oh, Credo and us. That's it's an inter- that one's interesting. Cause it's like these percussion things. It's kind of a, Oh, okay. I got another one after this. I'm like, all these ideas are popping in my head, but okay. the Credo and us okay. is like, uh, Meant to be, um, <laughs> it's meant to be like you play a radio or like a track of some kind of classical piece. It doesn't matter what, but then like that's going on in the background while you play percussion music over it. Hmm. And it's, and then at some point you play this kind of like hokey sounding Western thing. It was supposed to be kind of a uh, a joke on the uh, music of the day. Um, and that one's pretty interesting because you hear like music happening at two different times, and it's hmm. just kind of like messing with your head a little bit. So that's Credo and Us, or U.S., um, capital letters. Another one is called Living Room Music, which is kind of another popular one of his. That one's just, uh, it's the instruments are things you could find in the living room. Uh, mm-hmm. Another piece I'm playing with my percussion group. Uh, you, uh, it's it's really just funky. <laughs> like, <laughs> the rhythms are actually kind of, like, funky and cool. Uh, so I, I definitely recommend checking that one out. It's uh, There's also a spoken part where they use words and the words are spoken in rhythm and it's uh interesting what did he in that kind of thing if he uses words were his were his word choices as sort of randomly collated together as his music choices <laughs> or were they were they more intentional this is more intentional this is probably his earlier period i think when he wrote this before he started getting into the chance random <laughs> operation stuff so uh it was just a poem by gertrude stein that he set and kind of put into rhythm so the people are going once right. upon a time, a time, a once upon a time, once upon... So it's kind of like a broken up version of this poem. Right, Where right. parts are repeated. Yeah. Like, I guess that is kind of a weird remix in its own... He's like remixing a poem, I guess. I mean, kind of, yeah, honestly. <laughs> it's and I, per, it, in a way. Has there been people that, you know, in more modern times have you know, used his stuff in their own sort of musical compositions? Uh... I would, I, I guess so, in the way that um, chance operations are done. So, like, it, it it's not done as much anymore, but it 
because uh, you kind of once you kind of unlock that level, it, you can't really do much more to it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you, you know, it's like it's just okay. We can keep doing the random stuff or do the random stuff he already wrote. Um, but I think his uh, the philosophy brought about bringing new sounds into the musical world, where like, hey, let's use this tin can because it sounds kind of cool. But like, oh, it doesn't sound like a anything normal. I'm like, no, let's just try it because it sounds cool. So. Composers today use weird, wonky instruments. Uh, technical term is called is found instruments because it can just be any object that you find that's used as a instrument. Yeah, because was I guess that wasn't really done back back when he sort of came into prominence. There wasn't people, you know, people were more like instruments, instruments, and trash cans are trash cans, and never the twain shall meet. Yep, <laughs> pretty much. And then he was like, "No, these trash cans are beautiful and deserve to be loved, like any like of any violin you have." Yeah, maybe your <laughs> violin is the real trash can. <laughs> yeah, as a percussionist who plays this music, you start getting random stuff that uh, you like like the sound of, and you start like going to hardware stores and hitting clay pots and like saying, "Oh, I kind of like that sound." I have this old phone that has a bell in it. When you whack the phone, the bell rings, and I just love it. <laughs> That's like my john cage phone so are you just kind of known as the weird guy in your local hardware store like yeah he's coming and he's bashing shit again just (laughs) he's gonna be there for a couple of hours let him get it out of his system (laughs) he's gonna buy a few things that you think he could be working on a project for his deck but no he's just buying it to play music on he says yeah he's like he bought a nail gun and a block of wood and then he just spent two hours hitting the nail gun and we don't know what to say about that (laughs) pretty much uh i've i went to a Dick's Sporting Goods uh, store, and I went and bought some BB pellets, and like I was looking for a certain kind that were round. And he's like, "What do you need them for? You gonna be shooting target practice?" Like, "Oh no, I'm gonna pour this on a drum, and spin them around and hit the drum and stuff." And he's like, "Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, I asked." <laughs> yeah, please leave yeah. the store. I think yeah, you're yes. disturbed. Yeah, it's like which of your BB bullets have the best acoustics? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh. So, I mean, that's like, really accurate to how percussionists think when you play this kind of music. I mean, I guess, like, because I figure there's almost a little bit of crossover in the way that people make, you know, for television and movies, the people, different ways people make sound effects, which is just this constant search oh. of how to slap different stuff together to get different sounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like Foley artists, I think yeah, it's yeah. called. Yeah, so I, I, there's probably, like, you know, Foley artists are, are like, the less music or oriented version of john cage i suppose yeah i mean it's like they're doing it for a practical reason to uh just make sounds happen in a movie but john cage is like no let's take the sounds and yeah. make it into music for the, <laughs> yeah the sound for the sake of the sound i guess pretty much yeah so uh, so you said you have a god why can i not say that word percussion group yeah um so yeah what what's What's exact? What exactly is that? I mean, it's it's kind of obvious, but do tell. Yeah, well, we're just like a it's like a band, but uh, we do this kind of weird art music, and we don't we play some John Cage, but we uh, the group's called Percussionisms. If you want to look us up on Twitter or something, <laughs> hey. but uh, uh, um, we play uh, music that kind of exists in this tradition, but also other stuff that like is more uh, accessible to most audiences that. Uh, so we try to mix it up a lot, um, but we're a group of percussionists who just we perform in different configurations, and we're just kind of starting, so we don't have any gigs yet. But right. uh, so yeah, so how? Uh, when did you start this? How long ago? It was uh, 
a few years ago, I think in 2013, we started it in South Carolina, which I, where I used to live. Um, then one of the guys moved to Boston and I got my master's degree in performance. And then I moved to Boston here a few months ago and we're starting it up again. So, uh, we started at just a quartet in South Carolina and we did a few house shows and did some, uh, played in a bar, which is weird for this kind of music. Yeah. But, uh, are we talking like your real traditional kind of bar here? Uh, yeah, but it was like an art, an artsy fartsy kind of night where there's like a, there was a dance going on too. And so like, it was really cool though because we were in the floor and everyone was just surrounding us. So it was really intimate in this right. uh, way that you can't really get with other music venues. So yeah, no, uh, that is pretty neat. Yeah. How, did, how did that go down? It went down really well, actually. I think everyone there was like expecting the weirdness, so it uh, we didn't like surprise anyone, and they were kind of into what we were doing. Right? Yeah, I guess if it, if it was a specifically artsy fartsy kind of night, you're gonna have artsy fartsy kind of people showing up for it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, okay. So, how many? If you started as a quartet, how many of you are there now? We have seven people now. Right. Uh, so, and we perform. We don't always. All seven of us don't play always at the same time. It depends on what the piece of music asks for. So, yeah. for uh, Forever and Sutsmo, it's three people. So we have three perform, and like we'll cut, we kind of assign who's doing what, and like okay, you work on this, and we'll work on this, and we'll come together and see how we're doing, and. It's a kind of a mix and match of different things. Yeah, yeah. So, so what kind of? So it's it's solely percussion instruments, I gather from the name. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um. So yeah, what what kind of variety of stuff do we are we talking about here? Yeah. Well, I do some music that's like electroacoustic, which is also something John Cage kind of pioneered. But you know, enough about him for a little bit. Uh, but I play. It's a piece for like uh, a snare drum. You know, uh, it comes in on a standard drum set, but uh, flipped upside down. And I'm playing along with this kind of electronic music that's playing along with me. So I'm kind of matching up with it. And uh, so that's one thing. It's kind of more pop oriented in a way because it's got like more of a groove and uh, yeah. is just fun to play. Um, but also we also play some, uh, we're trying to bring awareness to the the music of the Shona people in Zimbabwe. That's I mentioned that earlier in Bira. So um we're not trying to. Uh, we are a bunch of white guys playing African music, and people raise eyebrows at that because of like cultural appropriation. But we we don't do it to uh, make a profit off it or anything. We just do yeah. it to kind of spread awareness. And uh, if we play it at a gig where we do make money, we'll donate a portion of our, um, you know, depending on how much we play to a uh, Imbira organization. Check out Imbira.org if you want to see more about Imbira and how you can support Imbira artists. By the way, yeah, because I mean it's a very it's a it's a tough line to walk that kind of thing where you're like i mean i i enjoy this music and like i wish it to be more exposed to people out there who would not have heard of it but yeah yeah there's the weird thing of like if if i start playing it it's yeah there's a whole different thing going on and you know how do you strike the balance of playing something you enjoy and respect without seeming yeah. like you're trying to claim it as your own in any way exactly it's it's different definitely difficult and there's a lot of conversations about it in the music community where people disagree on different points. But uh, for now, we're just trying to be cool about chill about it and just like, hey, we're just going to play it for educational purposes and yeah, yeah, and well, for fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, there's nothing wrong with it being yeah fun to play. That's the thing. Like, people yeah. can you can you can argue cultural appropriation as much as you want, but sometimes you're like, it's just music I enjoy playing. It's fun. Let's can we yeah. can we just look at it from that perspective sometimes? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, and it's definitely not the first time people have, you know, 
because yeah. I'm sure there's been instances of people, yeah, doing it for a more cultural appropriation kind of way. You could even look back to the Beatles and that kind of stuff. They definitely got sort of into the very mm. Indian music period for a little while there. Yeah. I um, mean, if you look at the banjo, I mean, uh, I think the banjo was... The banjo is definitely an African instrument in uh, its origin. And I think uh, when slaves were brought to the U.S., they were making it out of the materials they had. And then I think some white guy just said that he invented it and then like it became like a symbol of white trash culture and like no it's like this actually if you trace the lines it goes back to africa so like you're yeah. kind of wrong so you know uh, so as long as you're not going you're playing this music and being like here is this new sound i just invented guys <laughs> check this out i call it the thumb piano it's my <laughs> thing i made yeah exactly now we, we're gonna try and like point people in the direction where they can see the origin of this instrument so check yeah. out some imbira stuff for sure yeah so so yeah like what what's the assortment of instruments you kind of you have or is it just kind of a never-ending repertoire that keeps branching out i mean really it's that i mean it's percussionists have this weird curse where we'd never have just one thing that we play um unless you're like a drum set player we just play your drum set but uh like in my room right now i have uh I have three different kinds of tambourines, which all come from three different countries and are played in three different ways, but they're all tambourines still. <laughs> okay, so what I I knew of there being one kind of tambourine that existed, so what are these three different kind of tambourines? <laughs> well, I have, like, the tambourine people think of, like, just it's just a kind of a simple drum with, uh, it's got a skin head on it that's got these metal jingles, and it's just used to shake and to play, like, normal what people think of a tambourine but then i have a uh, tambourine that comes from brazil it's called a pandero which is played much differently you uh actually play the head like a drum and uh you can bend the pitch and make it sound like a little mini drum set in your hand which is uh pretty mm. cool then i also have the egyptian uh tambourine called a rick r-i-q where uh you play on the jingles and you play in the head and it's played differently than the bandero it's got a much different sound uh uh, I mean, heck, I can play some if you want. I don't sure, know. Sure, why want. not? Let's just let's see, or we'll see how it comes across. But sure, give, give it a whirl. Okay, let me grab this drum real quick. Okay, yeah, this is just stuff I have in my room. But we also play stuff like you know, random children's desk bells and. Uh, uh, I got a melodica in here. It just never stops. I just always get more stuff. Is your is your house just littered with an assortment of things you can bash at any given moment? Oh, totally. I live with another percussionist, so okay. it's just every corner is covered <laughs> do, with something. <laughs> do your neighbors fucking hate you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> oh man, that would be interesting. Have you ever had yeah. any any complaints from the neighbors? Actually, no, we, we try to, we're pretty respectful. We don't uh, play at a time that's inconvenient. And we usually, we rehearse in different places, so and, we you take know, our if, stuff with us. If you're having a wild, raging party, you just stick to a non-stop soundtrack of John Cage's 4 minutes and 33 seconds. Yeah, on loop. Just, yep. hey guys, you are the music now. Yeah, it's <laughs> fine. Just this, this, the, sound the of- words you say and the sounds you make is the soundtrack <laughs> to this party. Okay, we are hey, you- again going home, and why do you keep inviting us to these <laughs> terrible parties? 
hey man no wait you hear jack shotgunning a beer in the back that's totally music too listen to it <laughs> yeah and jack's like okay i'm gonna shotgun 12 more <laughs> all right jack uh well here's a tambourine my normal tambourine yep um now here's a pandero i don't know if my, my rick's actually downstairs so i won't get that but the pandero if i hit it like here you get ah, this yeah. kind of bassy noise. Yeah, it has a much more um, to- bass yeah, drum I'm kind to- of vibe to it. Yeah, but it's a tiny drum. Um, that's a Pandero. Right. So, uh, yeah. Uh, I totally clipped my mics, by the way. My, oh. I peaked the audio there, so sorry about that. <laughs> ah, well, people will survive. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. You have to make sacrifices to learn about tambourines. Exactly, my my mini plethora of plentitudes of tambourines. Yeah, do you have a favorite tambourine? Probably the Rick, because I play that one the most. It's right. uh, just fun. It's a fun thing to do. How do you find there's so many more tambourines out there, or how do you, how do you go about discovering new <laughs> instruments in this way? Like, obviously, you studied it, and I assume some part of it came through your study. But are yeah. you just constantly searching and look, finding out what's out there? Yeah, I mean. Yeah, most of it came from studying, and I got kind of aware of these other worlds of music. So I uh, started explore like I found those channels to kind of go to. So I started exploring on my own and watching things on YouTube. But also, there's like percussion conferences that we all come up. Uh, uh, PASIC, the Percussive Art Society International Con- uh, Convention, is a popular one. So like everyone comes together and watches each other perform. So I see. That's where I got the Pandero. Actually, I saw a guy playing it. And I was like, Oh my god, I need to get one of those. So I went to the booth where they were selling them i bought one that day and uh took it home with me so uh yeah um it's it's just a never-ending you know and it's just a never-ending uh purchase of new instruments it's, it's just always happening yeah. always find something new i want i guess yeah it, it kind of seems like you've got yourself in the worst kind of instrumental realm for just constantly buying new stuff because at least if you're a guitarist you'll you know you're just like okay i'm just gonna buy i'll buy a few guitars whereas if you're like yeah anything is an instrument you would just buy yeah. anything <laughs> yeah and it's like also you buy more than one guitar but you play the guitar the same way more or less it's still yeah. a guitar but like when i get a pandero i have to learn a whole new way of playing tambourine yeah and like- same thing with like a other percussion stuff like when i get a new tin can like i gotta find out what's the best place to hit that tin can to get the best sound out of it yeah you're like i bought this rusted out shell of a chevy impala because i thought it sounded (laughs) great (laughs) i mean yeah i would love to have that that'd be great are you kidding me (laughs) is 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 there anything that you would consider your your weirdest uh purchase in what you use as an instrument huh that's a good question um I'm like literally looking around my room to see what I have in here. <laughs> I mean, by by what I've heard, your room itself is an instrument. I mean, pretty much. I mean, I, I have like my phone here that's... Uh, where's that phone at? Oh, oh, I have another tambourine I just found. That was a, <laughs> a foot tambourine that goes on my foot. <laughs> yeah. I like it. He's like, you're tripping over tambourines in your room. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, too many. Yeah, I think my phone is probably the weirdest one, to be honest, because right. it's just this—it's an old like beige, plasticky, corded phone from like the '90s. Like, are we talking like an old um, rotary phone kind of thing? Like with the not the... quite. All right. A little, have... a little bit more modern than that. So does it have like keypad buttons, or does it have the spinning dial? It's got the keypad buttons. Right. Oh, um, yeah. But if I hit it here, 
get that nice uh, yeah. bell sound. It, it does have so. a, a solid phone bell sound to it. Yeah. Um, so that's probably the weirdest thing I have. I, I probably have something else I'm not thinking about, but... Uh, what about uh, weirdest thing you have used but haven't necessarily owned? Hmm. I would say probably... Okay, the weirdest thing I probably did... Well, this is the weirdest thing I did, I think. Yeah, that kind counts. of mixes with that. Um, I poured rice onto a, a CD case for like an hour. <laughs> just in varying amounts of rice and with like 32 other people pouring rice on things to get like this kind of weird rain sound effect for <laughs> that was probably the weirdest thing i've ever done and it was weird it was kind of like a meditation a group meditation because you just had to like think about okay for one minute i'm pouring this much rice okay for this minute i'm pouring less rice and then this minute i'm minute by minute you're just like you know uh pouring that's called rice fall by michael passaro by the way if you don't so look was that it- up <laughs> So was it all structured beforehand? So everyone knew the qu- the quantities of rice they needed to be pouring. Oh. It. Yeah, we had little pieces of paper that had minute by minute. There was different numbers that meant different levels of rice being poured. So like nine being the highest, and one being like one every three seconds, one grain of rice. Uh, and so it was just a huge group of people pouring rice in different things the the story behind that piece so i don't sound like a total crazy person was that uh listen there's no guarantee the composer, you won't still sound like a crazy person i know <laughs> um the guy who wrote it read this book about a guy who went blind later in his life so he uh wrote a book describing like what it was like to go from being able to see to being completely blind and he talked about the sound of rain and in the middle of a rainstorm he realized that you don't hear rain you hear the sound of water activating the sound of other a million objects so like if you're mm. it's raining on the street you're hearing cement and metal and cars and stuff so yeah because kind of like rain like, it, uh. rain itself doesn't necessarily have a sound like what we what we associated with this as the sound of rain is rain making the sound on the other things yes exactly so he took that idea and made it into a piece of music with rice being dropped on random things so, so how much how much rice did everyone have on hand and it, would, it was a, it was a lot. It was bad, and it was everywhere when we were done. So we had to go and vacuum the. <laughs> we had to vacuum it ourselves, or else the venue owners would be really mad at us. But, yeah did did you did you at least like come together to make the world's biggest dish of fried rice afterwards? <laughs> I it, I don't know because everyone touched it with their hands so much that I think we couldn't use I mean, it for that. You boil it. You boil rice. I'm sure it'll. I guess so. Get off yeah, this. and maybe add extra flavor. It's kind of it's kind of like the you know every every person's hand has a flavor so <laughs> it's, it's the taste of the world it, it, in our in our spoon yeah. it's the taste <laughs> equivalent of every like object having uh, being an instrument like every person's <laughs> every person's fingers are a spice <laughs> oh oh man I taste the flavor of Nathan here oh it's that's good <laughs> he Nathan needs to stop smoking <laughs> he needs to stop rolling his own cigarettes it's disgusting. <laughs> Uh, so so who was like obviously if john cage was john cage basically the pioneer in this realm is that what you'd kind of consider him yeah it was john cage there's just some other guys who uh they call the west coast school um like lou harrison and uh, henry cowell who kind of existed in the same world but cage is really the guy who made the most like innovation i would guess you would say yeah uh, and these like wild differences and who were some of the people that followed in his footsteps as time went on? Um, I guess it's huh. It's hard to trace a line to be honest, because uh, 
There's one guy, I think his name's Barney Child. He was kind of a little bit later than uh, um, Cage, but he was still kind of his contemporaries. But he, he used the um, uh, those kind of chance operations. Uh, other guys were like, um, uh, let's see here, what is Oh, uh, like a guy named Xenakis, which is X-E-N-A-K-I-S. He's a Greek guy. He used some chance procedures. Uh there's some other guys. I'm having trouble thinking of anyone now. Um, oh, his rhythmic stuff. I'm looking at his Wikipedia article now to give me ideas. But, uh, Inspiration. Yeah, I need to think of names. Um, the way his rhythmic kind of cycles worked influenced some American composers like Steve Reich, who was another really big in the percussion field. Uh, he He's a kind of a pioneer of minimalism um, in the musical minimalism where it sounds like something's repeating over and over again but it actually is changing in a slight way and there's like a um the interaction between these repeating parts creates new melodies and rhythms and so like it was a they're called resultant melodies since they are a result of this process happening in the music so um there's a bit of a connection there because cage's earlier work uses these kind of processes to compose them so it was kind of the same mindset but it sounds much different if you look up steve reich and john cage they sound way different but his ideas on composing music influence like oh we can compose music in different ways it's not like write a melody in a harmony it's what's have a concept behind it yeah so that kind of thing does it yeah i guess what you how you're going to do it it sort of takes precedent over what the end result is going to be yeah um so like uh cage had the square root formula where like he had these certain numerical formulas that like decided to win he would make a change in the music and like steve rice would uh take two things that were the same like the same kind of rhythm and one would speed up just ever so slightly so they got out of sync and then they would like sound completely different because they're out of sync with each other um you can look up uh it's gone rain by him he took a field recording of a street preacher and like looped certain sections of it and made one just slightly faster than the other and you get these different kind of rhythms out of it it's really wild to listen to i uh, definitely recommend checking that out yeah so um so you i guess you write of your own stuff like some of your own stuff when you your, your performance kind of things uh i haven't really written anything myself um but my uh, friend does he he has a piece called A Silent uh, Deafening, hmm. um, where we have this, uh, we perform in our percussion group where we are playing these various instruments. And they're, they're, he doesn't uh, specify what they have to be. They they can be, it's just a wooden sound or a ringing metal sound. So there's flexibility in what you choose to play with. Um, so it's kind of similar to John Cage. And also we have this white noise generator on our phones that like goes on the background the whole time. And you hear it in the beginning just going, shh. <laughs> but then we kind of layer in other instruments and as we play it we're just keep playing it and playing it and then at one point we just turn the sound off and suddenly like you notice it's gone like you kind of forget about it but then when it's yeah. gone it sounds weird and different like yeah because like I, it's just it's it's kind of those things that you, you kind of forget even in everyday life you forget about these things that make you know background noise until they, they're gone yeah because yeah like i was at work the other day and the air conditioner at work stopped working and it suddenly seemed like bizarrely silent even though yeah 
the humming in the background that you never normally notice without that there it was suddenly just like it seems eerily quiet in this place now mm-hmm. it, that's kind of the whole point of the piece really he wrote it to make people kind of aware that in yeah. our modern society that we uh just have these background noises happening all the time yeah, um it, it's kind of it's kind also, of thing where like like most most of what we think of as silence is not actually silence and when you you know it's kind of the whole thing about sensory deprivation tanks and that kind of thing like it, yeah. it shows you what real silence is and it's kind of like wow this is actually a little bit unsettling yeah yeah i think there's some kind of uh this is related to john cage too actually there's some kind of like test facility where like it's the most soundproof room in the world. So when you go in, there's no sound at all except what's made in there. Mm. And uh, John Cage went in there and he said he sat down and sat there for a while. And then after a while, he started hearing the sound of his own blood moving through his body. <laughs> and then he said he listened more and he could hear the sound of like this weird ringing sound. And he realized it was this like neurons firing off. He could hear just like his entire body. So he came to the conclusion that there is no actual thing, such thing as silence. So that's yeah. why... I think 433 is kind of tied into that. There's no such thing as silence. It's, there's always noise. Yeah, even the most this most faint kind. Because it's, it's probably one of those things where... Because I know they say if you kind of rob yourself of enough visual and hearing stimuli, so if you just like play white noise and cover your eyes and stuff, eventually your brain just starts kind of making stuff up to fill that void because the human brain can't mm-hmm. actually handle the lack of stimulus. Yeah. I think that's probably part of it. Like you have to, like, there has to be sound. I can't take it anymore. Yeah, I gotta so find something. It, you can, in some ways, you can like by reducing it all, you can induce hallucinations. I think there's been studies to show. Oh wow! Because your brain I, just goes, okay, I need to fill this void with something because I'm freaking out. <laughs> yeah. Why is there nothing? <laughs> yeah. I just can't process that. Yeah. Anyway. So so you said um just before we started recording that you just you went to a percussion festival just yeah. recently. Yeah, I just went today, actually. It was called the Day of Percussion. Uh, you know, very creative title. Uh, so were you were you just there as, like, an audience member, or were you playing as well? Or? I was an audience member. I just kind of... I'm new to the area, so I wanted to check out the scene. And uh, there, it's kind of... Um, it seems like in this chapter, it's kind of not established yet, so there wasn't a whole lot going on. So, like, I kind of want to also offer my help in... Uh, starting for next year's like trying to add more stuff to it um, yeah, so how how big would we say this event was oh very small it was probably 50 people at most right. <laughs> who were there um yeah so yeah but um because yeah is there obviously obviously where you are is there is the scene fairly small or are you just kind of still figuring that out and trying to feel your way into what the scene is um well i live in boston so the scene's actually pretty lively um with new music and contemporary music it's uh there's a lot going on but i'm new to it and i don't know anybody so i'm still trying to find people to work with um right. so there's stuff going on i just i'm not a part of it yet <laughs> so and like how you said you because you you relocated and you sort of started up your band or kept going with it so how is your band or your percussion group full of people you already knew or did you just kind of put the word out to find people who want to be part of it it, it was it started with only me and my roommate who's been my best friend for many years who I moved up here with. Uh, so at first it was just us, but then he joined like a civic symphony where it was like a volunteer symphony and he got, we found percussionists there who were interested and they got on. And then we found more people through connections we had and kind of slowly grew into the size we are now, which is seven people um, just by 
word of mouth kind of. So we're trying to find more people to make a huge percussion group where we can do anything we want to. But yeah, uh, so you just kind of want to have this big rotating selection of people that you can call on depending on what your needs are. Yeah, that's kind of our goal. We want to be a modular uh, percussion ensemble. And do you, would it be an aim that you uh, you try this like percussion day of percussion thing? Is the kind of thing you would want to play at in the future if the opportunity oh. presented itself? Oh, totally, dude. Yeah, we don't. We uh, we try to get on this one, but we didn't know about it until like the beginning of this month where they announced it, and we're like, "Hey, do you want one more thing to happen?" And they're like, "No, schedule's <laughs> already set. We're sorry." And we're like, "Dang!" But so, are there any maybe next year? Are there in this within this percussion scene? Are there you know the big events that are kind of like the big headlining ones that happen in a year? Yeah, I would say PASIC, uh, the International Convention, is the big one. Uh, that's where everyone comes, flies into Indianapolis, and it's in a big convention center. So there's, like, professional guys, there's college students, there's high school students, there's middle school students, all, like, participating in different kinds of events and workshops and uh, lectures and all kinds of stuff. It's really beautiful. I, it's probably... There's also the uh, exhibition hall where people sell drums and cymbals and stuff, and it's the loudest thing you could ever walk <laughs> into. It's just a bunch of people just going nuts on drums and other percussion instruments um it's a glorious noise I feel, I, I feel like that's like a john cage wet dream he just walks in is like this is it <laughs> yeah this is uh, what i imagined yeah you could walk around for hours and always hear something different because it's just everything's happening at once it's it's kind of too much to be honest but <laughs> yeah, it, just... it does fall in line with that <laughs> so how many is that's like a multi-day thing is it yeah it's like a four day thing so uh, so you've been before i gather yeah i've been for i've been to a couple years i think three so far um okay. the first time i went was in 2012 our percussion our college ensemble won a contest so we performed there and i went and it, like blew my mind and like so many great things were happening i just like it really inspired me i was going to be like a band director originally like i was going to just teach music in schools um but then I went to that PASIC and it made me think, oh, wait, I can do more. And so it was a really inspiring event for me, actually. I, I really, that was like a turning point in my life, I think. Nice. Nice. <clears throat> so do you have, so what do you actually, what do you do? How, how do you put this into professional practice in a way that supports your tambourine buying habits? <laughs> well, right now I actually work as a substitute teacher <laughs> to pay the bills. <laughs> Um, what we're going to try and do is you can get, um, we can perform and get money from that, like ticket sales and stuff like that. Um, but that's kind of hard with this kind of music because there's not a huge audience for it. Yeah. To be quite you're not exactly frank. selling out stadiums. Exactly. Um, but there are people who are interested in it and there's a, there's a, it's a growing scene and, uh, at what I've read online with people who've been successful with this kind of music is that they, you build a community around it. So we're trying to get into the community and like just make connections with where we are instead of trying to tour around the country. Um, and uh, we, so we're like, cause it takes a little bit of education to get these kind of things and open your uh, eyes to it a little bit. I'm not saying that like, Oh, people are ignorant and they don't understand it, but like you just have to have like, if you knew a little bit about it, you can get some new appreciation of the music. Yeah, so right, we're trying it, to educate people. Cause it's obviously the kind of thing that some people will listen to and like front to back, hate it <laughs> without a doubt. But, oh yeah. But you know, if you're, if you're inclined to enjoy it, you may not necessarily enjoy it immediately. But mm -hmm. yeah, like, you know, once you've sort of 
yeah, dig into it a little bit. Yeah, it'll open your ears to something you actually may enjoy. Like yeah, because I'm a very like I'm a very basic music person. I am I am very <laughs> not adventurous with my music tastes. So logically, I probably would not enjoy it. But I will certainly not begrudge <laughs> anyone else out there who does. Yeah, and I I don't want to paint the picture that that's all I listen to. By the way, like I do like if I listen to that only, like I would go crazy. I think I yeah, listen to I... other stuff. Like I've listened to the. A uh, weird owl Hamilton polka yesterday, and I've listened to that probably at least eighteen times. But uh, I mean, yeah, as a very, it's a very fun thing to listen to. Yes, it just brings me a lot of joy. But uh, so, like, I think it, it's not something you can listen to all the time. You have, it has to be kind of you have to be in the right mindset and the right mood for it, for sure. And we're just trying to get people to take that first step into it. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's yeah part of it is just showing other people like even if you don't necessarily enjoy it there is this whole other world of noise out there that can be used for a while a wide variety of stuff yeah yeah totally yeah that's, I guess, that's brilliant <laughs> i guess yeah i guess it's more looking at no- looking at sound from a different perspective rather than being like yeah this is a fucking sick jam <laughs> yeah really just like oh how about this though contemplate the sound of crumbling paper what what does that sound like yeah uh, <laughs> has, has anyone ever sort of tried to make a nightclub out of this genre of music? I don't think so. Uh, I think there's some guy, there's some groups that try to bring this kind of music into into nightclubs, and like it never works because the people who come to nightclubs are there to dance, and it's not yeah. dance music for sure, not the kind that they want. Um, uh, which is why I think building the community, we had to build our own space for it to make it work, not like a nightclub. <laughs> Yeah, because that's what I was wondering before. Um, did is it the kind of thing that ties into sort of like interpretive or artistic dance? Is there any people that sort of combine the two? Oh yeah, for sure. And that's some of John Cage's original uh, pieces were meant to be with dance. Uh, I think Forever and Sunsmell was the you people were playing, but people were dancing at the same time. So there's modern dance stuff that uh, takes this and applies it. Um, someone took one of our pieces that we recorded and used it for their dance reel. Like there was a dancer we know who does modern dance and they set it as the background music to the clips of them dancing. So that was kind of neat. Yeah. Um, I guess that's kind of thing where I guess, yeah, it's, I guess good to see your, something you've done get used in that context. Yeah, it was. And, uh, I think it was good for my friend who the composer friend I'm talking about Zach Miller. Um, he was just happy to have someone like, oh, they actually liked what I wrote. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, they weren't they weren't just lying to appease me. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Do your does your f- family remotely understand, or they're just like, okay, you do your thing? Oh no, no totally not at all. <laughs> they they just like yeah, they kind of appreciate what I'm doing, but I'll never forget when I uh I went to visit my the college when I was in high school. Still, I visited my professor yeah. and uh. He gave me like a CD of the percussion ensemble playing stuff, and we listened to it on the car ride home with my parents. And uh, there's some African stuff on there. We're like, oh, this is really cool. But then it goes to this track, a John Cage piece called First Construction, where it's just these weird metal sounds. And we're just sitting in the car awkwardly. And like, my mom finally just goes, uh, Can we change this, please? <laughs> to something else. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, you don't like it? What's wrong? <laughs> Why don't you accept me for who I am? Yeah. I'm going to play this phone, Mom. It's my dream. I yeah, want to play like, the phone. Mom and Dad, I have something to tell you. I'm a percussionist. 
Oh God! Why? What did we? Where did we go wrong? <laughs> Damn it! We gave you a guitar. <laughs> Have you tried not being a percussionist? <laughs> you don't get it, Mom. <laughs> Just run out of the house. <laughs> They're uh, very supportive, but they don't. Yeah, I don't well, think they really get it. <laughs> that's the best you can ask for, like them to support yeah. you regardless of whether they have any idea what it is or not. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And do you have any kind of long-term-ish goals of what you'd like to do within your percussion weird music world? Yeah, honestly, I just want to play as much as I can with this percussion group. I want to get us out there. Um, there are like percussion groups who do this kind of music and are pretty successful with it and are making careers. And I want to just do that all the time, just play this music all the time because I right. just love it. So, so, yeah, so that's my goal to, right now. Yeah, to basically build the percussion group into like a self-sustaining kind of thing. Yeah, that would be amazing <laughs> nice oh hopefully well, good luck i hope hopefully you pull it off i will definitely support you from a distance and not attend any of your shows <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much <laughs> yeah well yeah thank you very much for joining me um yeah i'll get as i said i'll get you to kind of share a, like a, a selection of stuff with me so i can sort of yeah post it so people can have a vague idea of what you've been talking about this entire time sure thing yeah definitely yeah. but yeah thank you very much for joining me um yeah please Go out there and continue making weird noises. Thank you. I will, for sure. Yeah, and thank you, everybody out there for listening. Um, yeah, you know, normal thing, like like this shit, like the Facebook page, share the podcast with anyone who may want to listen to it or may not even want to listen to it. I don't care. I'm not fussy. But until <laughs> next time, everybody, we'll see you later and keep on caring and making weird sounds. Hey,